I mean, for me, it's just that's what I'm going to do. I don't care how hard it is or, or what I have to do to make it happen. You are listening to the Live Better Show with Brett and Jason, where we dive into life crushers, changing their game, talking about wellness, and sharing a message of putting plan into action. Live Better is based on five pillars. Move better, eat better, think better, give better, and live better. We move for freedom, to do and go where and when we want. We practice good nutrition to combat an age of being overfed and undernourished. We practice mindfulness for ways to live purposefully. We give better as the basis for why we do anything at all, especially when focusing on the health of our clients and community. And at the intersection of it all, we live better. Health and wellness is the sustainable fuel to do whatever it is in life you want to do better. Our guests share their story, their mission, and the pursuit of having the best day ever every single day. Hey! Turn up, bitch! (laughs) The Live Better Show is brought to you by Live Better Retreats. Come join us on an epic adventure where we will fuel your body, your mind, and your spirit to accomplish new goals. This time is the right time for you to join us on an epic Live Better experience. This full immersion opportunity will grant you access to the best in nutrition, wellness, movement, yoga, and an amazing community you will bring home after the trip. Right now, you can join us on a Live Better experience to have the best day ever every single day. Let's crush it, fam. Brett and Jason here with the Live Better podcast. Could not be more excited to have Ryan Muncy here. Um, He is an incredible human being. We're going to dive into some really, really fun um, things with Ryan. So we're super excited to have you on the show today, Ryan. Uh, I'm excited to be here, guys. Thanks for having me on. Of course. So let's... uh, Let's start with just some of the basic stuff. Um, where are you at right now, and what are what are some of the current things you're working on? Current things I'm working on, uh, that's a lot, and that's because of uh, the answer to the other part of your question, where we're at right now. Uh, my wife and I just moved to uh, her hometown right outside of Winchester in northern Virginia. So we're about an hour west of Washington, D.C., for anyone not familiar with uh, the northern Virginia area. And as far as what we've got going on, we are unpacking boxes and, and uh, you know, trying to get acclimated to a, a new home. Uh, we were just talking before we hit record about how fortunate Donna and I both feel to be where we are right now. And, uh, you know, we just moved here from Virginia Beach. So she and I both grew up in the country and in the mountains. So to be able to, to be back to that, um, we're just, we're really at home and kind of beside ourselves to, uh, to be here and to be living like this now. So, um, just trying to balance the move with, you know, staying on top of, of everything that, you know, we know of, uh, in, in terms of our entrepreneurial hustles, um, you know, with the book, the podcast, uh, our leadership experiences, uh, and everything else that we have going on on that side of things as well. So, Ryan, you've got, um, first of all, congrats on your new home. And uh, second, uh, yeah, I I would love to dive into both Better Human Project, your podcast, and um, Fuck Your Feelings, your book, which I am two chapters deep in, and it is incredible so far. I think I would love to start just with some background on you, because you, like me, seem to get 
I don't know whether you want to call it bored with just doing one thing and love to wrap up lots of different things you get excited about sort of into one talk, one book, um, or one idea for your podcast, or whether you want to say you're just really excited about lots of different subjects that intertwine. Um, and, and I think just from listening to a few of your guests that have been on Better Human and reading through some of the things in your book, it seems like you have a lot of amazing life experience. Can we just start with what you started doing out of school and just kind of make your way up to when you decided to write the book um, and start Better Human, and then we can dive into each one of those individually? Yeah, I think that's probably the easiest way to do it. So I'll try to run through it as quickly as I can, and if there's a <laughs> part of it that you want to you know, stop me and, and elaborate on, we can certainly do that. But um, when I got to college, I, I went to Clemson University, and I grew up playing sports. Uh, I was an athlete my entire life. When I got to college, I was not good enough to play at Clemson. Um, so I had to fill that competitive void with something. And for me, it became the weight room. And I just became obsessed with uh, bodybuilding and nutrition and just the way that we could control certain elements of food, diet, training, uh, and get a different performance or, or get a different output from our bodies. Um, and that was really the genesis of it all for me. Uh, I ended up changing my majors. Um, and uh, when I graduated, my degree is in food science and human nutrition, uh, concentration in dietetics. So if I wanted to, I could be a registered dietitian. Uh, but somewhere along that way, um, in some of those shows, somebody told me, hey, you're too tall to be a bodybuilder. You should try modeling. So I entered a couple of modeling um I guess the modeling division, this is like right when physique started entering bodybuilding shows. And, um, you know, somebody said, you know, Hey, you should go do this competition and we'll, we'll fly you out there and we'll do this. And I've just always been one of those people that says yes to, to opportunities. <laughs> and, uh, as long as it's not like a guy trying to give me candy in a van or something. <laughs> um, but, um, the, the modeling industry turned out to be not too far away from that. Um, so anyway, when I graduated college, I moved to New York and I was a uh, fitness and fashion model for a little less than a year. Uh, and, and like I just kind of joked about, it wasn't exactly what I thought I was getting into. But my intention with doing it was that I thought it was something that would give me a platform uh, or a reason for people to listen to me. And that's ultimately what I wanted was to use what I was learning about nutrition, both in my science classes and in my own um, investigations and experiments and, and seeing this immense discrepancy between what we know in terms of science and then what the average person thinks they know about how to eat healthy. Um, so that was a huge passion for me right away. And, and I felt like, okay, if I can go be a model and have some success with that, then uh, you know, I can either write a book or I can talk about this and, and I'll have both a platform and a reason for people um, to listen to me. And this was all the way back in 2008. So, um, you know, that was well before you had a lot of uh, like the social media stuff that we have now where, you know, people are, are, it's a little bit easier now to get that platform than it was back then. So when I left New York, I went, went back to my hometown, Roanoke, Virginia, and uh, got a job as a personal trainer at a Gold's Gym there. And after a couple of months, met a girl, and she was a group instructor there, um, and she's now my wife. So uh, I wasn't sure how long I was going to stay in the area, but ended up staying for several years. And after 
I guess it was two years of doing that. Um, I had a training partner who he and I just felt like we could do it better on our own. And, and we used to, every day when we were lifting, we'd talk about this dream of, of our own facility and how we would do it better and different. And one day I just said, you know what? I'm doing it. I'm out. I'm gone. I'm starting my own place. So I did. 2012. Um, it was March of 2012. I opened House of Strength, uh, my own place. And for the first year, I just rented um, space out of an existing strongman and powerlifting facility. And then a year later, got my own place, 3,000 square foot um, performance training facility, and did that through the end of 2015. Um, and, you know, while doing that, was, was continuing to write and, and speak and do things like that. Um, and then started my own podcast, the House of Strength podcast with the gym. Um, but that took me away from the, the gym and what I really needed to be doing too much. So I stopped. And at that time, um, I'd already been introduced to uh, the folks at Natural Stacks who um, – actually said, you know, hey, if you're going to stop doing that one, you know, we'll bring you in to do the Optimal Performance Podcast. And uh, when I sold the gym and, and kind of transitioned out of that over the course of 2016, um, came in kind of full-time with Natural Stacks in addition to hosting the OPP, which I did for uh, a little over two and a half years. And then um, last year, uh, I was speaking at the Biohacker Summit in Sweden. I always get them confused because I spoke at one in Finland and then another one in Sweden. And it was the one in Sweden where I got to speak for about 40 minutes on whatever I wanted. And um, that was a talk that I had a lot of fun with. And, and it was really built around states and traits and a lot of what is in the book. And there was a guy in the audience who was another keynote speaker and, and writer, Chris Dancy. Um, and he really convinced me that there was something there and that I should pursue it. Um, so over the second half of 2017, I, I wrote the book, and um, yeah, here we are now. So the book's out, got my own podcast, and um, my co-founder with Better Human Project is someone you guys know very well, uh, Ryland Hormel. And uh, yeah, we're just we're having a lot of fun trying to see what we can do with uh, with these ventures. So that um, that journey is is amazing. I actually. This is Brett. My first training gig was a uh, being a trainer at Gold's Gym, so I guess that's a breeding ground for <laughs> for success. Um, that that sounds it sounds incredible. I think um, what's super interesting about all of it is that you've stayed on this this path and this journey, um, knowing that you had this idea and concept and something you wanted to share, and you just went with that. I mean, it's it's incredible to see somebody figure that out at, at a young age, like in college, for example. Jason and I definitely did not major in anything around health, fitness, or the body, um, so we found out a little bit later. But I think that's a really cool um, topic that you just have been able to stay on um, the path to get to where you are right now. Um, how would you say that, or what, what are some of the top ways that you've been able to, you know, keep to the grindstone and stay, stay focused while opportunities come up and things go up and down? Yeah, I think that's something really important to keep in mind, both for life advice and, you know, business as well, especially if you're somebody who's going to be an entrepreneur or in business for yourself. I mean, we see these memes and, and posts on, on social media all the time that, um, that that's that roller coaster is the nature of uh, the journey, and and I think it's it's important to understand that um, 
the further you get from the beaten path, the more of those ups and downs we're going to face. And for me, it's just, it's always been, I, I guess the, the, the bigger fear or, or the bigger pain is the one that comes from not doing the thing that's burning inside of me, not pursuing the thing that I know I'm here to do. Um, and, and that is a less objectionable, um, you know, pursuing that and, and pursuing any uh, 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 fighting through any obstacle or barrier or setback along the path is a less objectionable choice than shooting all the way to, you know, kind of put me on the sideline or to say, no, I'm, this is too hard. I'm not going to do it. Totally agree. And I think that's a perfect segue um, into discussing sort of like the start of the book. Um, because it seems like the entire premise of the book is essentially hinges on the fact that you manage your emotions and you make decisions based on feelings, but those feelings are a little bit subjective. Um, and even when some of those times might be a little more difficult, all it takes is a little bit of reinterpretation of your feelings um, or flipping it the bird <laughs> and going a totally different direction with your mind by saying, Hey, I'm going to flip this just as sort of like our have the best day ever every single day motto might signify into something that is positive rather than negative, which keeps you on that path, especially when you're a business owner, entrepreneur, or athlete that suffers some type of longer setback. Um, can you just talk about sort of like the basis for the book and then maybe how some of your own life experience has played into why you titled the book that way? Because I think it's an awesome title for a book. Um, and just kind of like the, the, full, the flow and format of the book. So I think it's such an important and, and foundational topic to mental health, which then translates directly into physical health. Yeah, you know, I've always been fascinated by why some people are successful and other people are not. You know, as we kind of talked about how I've spent the last 10, 12 years of my life, I mean, everything I've done has basically been in the business of transformation, whether it was nutrition coaching or strength coaching, personal training, whatever. I've, I've been able to work with athletes and um, general population adults and um Navy SEALs and Olympic medalists and, and I've gotten to see a lot of really successful people and a lot of people who have the greatest intentions and are amazing people but aren't able to succeed at their goals and you know what it really comes down to is our choices and I just ran across a, a quote uh, that was in a book um, as we were unpacking some stuff yesterday uh, and it, it, it applies here very well um, it's our choices, not our abilities, um, that determine who we are. And, you know, part of this book was exploring the neuroscience behind why some people are successful and other people are not. And the book is titled Fuck Your Feelings uh, because there's a neuroscience researcher, Antonio Damasio, who found that as many as 95% of our decisions are made based on how we feel in any given moment. And to me, that is that is really, really powerful information. It's also really startling because if you look at somebody who is successful, pick your person, whether it's in business, if you want to look at Oprah or Richard Branson, or if you want to look at an athlete, you want to look at a Michael Jordan or an Olympian or, uh, or a special forces operator, you're going to find somebody 
who over the period of their life, more times than not, has shown up and done what they know they needed to do, regardless of how they felt in that moment. You can't tell me that an Olympic athlete enjoys getting out of bed every single day uh, at, at you know the crack of dawn to go do hard training. Um, you know, everybody talks about like Michael Phelps's diet and how much fun it must have been to eat all the food that, that he got to eat. Well, do you realize he had to do that because of the sheer amount of physical effort he was putting in? Very, very few people would be willing to do that amount of human-powered movement that it would take to to necessitate eating that many calories, right? Um, and, and you look at somebody like him and, and his career. How many Olympics did he compete in? Four or five? Yeah, four. Yeah, I mean, let's four. let's say it was five Olympic games. That's every four years. That's a twenty-year period. And then you got to count the training that went into prior to his first Olympic games. So you're looking at you know easily thirty years. Uh, maybe he didn't compete in five games. I don't know. Maybe it was four games. But still, an extremely long period of time. Same thing for a Richard Branson or an Oprah. These are people who have figured out whether they know it or not figured out ways to override the exact same biology that we all have. They're not different from us. They're still human beings. They have the exact same anatomy and biology that we have. But when they experience certain emotions or certain feelings, they're able to override them. They're able to dictate what they do, not allow their feelings to dictate what they do. You don't think they wanted to do Netflix and chill a lot of nights? But no, they did. They they did what they were supposed to do. They were, uh, you can say it however you want. They were on their grind, or they were hustling, or, or whatever. The bottom line is, they did what they needed to do to move their mission forward. And you know that's really the crux of the book is figuring out what you want out of your life, and then structuring your time and your actions so that they match your values and your stated goals. And then, no matter how you feel in any given moment, doing the right thing at the right time for the right people, just showing up and moving the chains, uh, which is one of the things that we talk about in the book. I love and that, that is just an analogy for making sure that you made progress every single day. Do you think that that topic, that concept of moving the chains, which I, is a football reference for anybody who's not familiar with that, do you think that, that those small, easy wins are what initiates that type of action that over time then builds that type of mental discipline? Because oftentimes when I'm talking to somebody or a client – um, or speaking on this, people are like, well, where do I start? Because I feel like it's so inertia driven. If you've been sedentary for a while, you're likely to be sedentary and it, that's likely to get worse unless you flip. And motivation is so fleeting. You can watch one video, you can turn on your favorite Drake song and get super pumped up for a little while. But then day after day, that kind of starts to fade um, what do you think initiates that type of action and maybe give a good example for an outlier like somebody you just brought up, like a Michael Phelps, like where do you think that started from? And maybe that was just because they did it at a young age and they don't know any different um, and how that might differ from if an adult were to pick up your book now. I assume you give lots of great strategies in the book, but maybe, um, maybe talk about how mentally I think you start to initiate that type of action and then how that carries over into discipline itself. Yeah, that's a really important thing to keep in mind. And, and you're right, in the book there are a lot of you know what I'll call tools to overcome feelings or emotions on those days that aren't a 10 out of 10 
you know, uh, I'm like you guys. I, I try to wake up and say best day ever every single day. But let's be honest. Not every single day is a 10 out of 10 when we wake up, right? We have to work a little bit harder some days than others to to say that and to mean that and, and to actually embody that, right? So there's a lot of tools in the book to, uh, to help us, um, you know, move the needle in the right way to maybe turn a five into a seven um, on certain days. But I think to your question about getting started, it's twofold. Um, I think some of it, it comes down for me. It's always been about values. It's never been about motivation or or inspiration. Those are things that, you know, like you said, we all know that they don't last. Um, but values do last. And, and it's, it's not something that's taught in school. Um, it's not something that's really talked about, but you know, very few people in this world know what their own values are. If I walked down the street and asked every single person that I ran into and said, you know, can you tell me your, your top four values as a human being or your top five values? Very few people have, have thought about what those are. And I promise you that if you spend 30 minutes thinking about that and then write them down, it's, it's an incredibly powerful exercise. And what I do is uh, I coach people to set an alarm on their phone so that it goes off every single day and it just says, uh, am I being that person? And then it has those values listed underneath of it. So whatever values you come up with, you get a daily reminder. And, you know, like we said, motivation doesn't last. So getting that daily reminder of who you want to be, how you want to be talked about, how you want to be remembered is, is a really powerful tool, if you will, to make sure that you are actually acting as if you are that person. Uh, the fastest way to become that version of you is to act that way, to move through the world as you are that person. Or think about, it's really hard sometimes to, to be objective with ourselves. So again, that person that you thought of in the previous answer, whether it's Oprah or Richard Branson or Michael Phelps, how do you think that person would handle this situation? Or given the same choice that you're facing right now, how would that person decide or act or move through the world? What would they do? And then think about it as the ultimate version of you. How would the version of you that you want to be act or handle this choice or situation that is in front of you, whatever it may be? And then do what that version of you would do, right? It sounds so simple, but very few people have thought about what those values are. So having done that little bit of homework can really help you make a decision that is in line or congruent with your values and your goals. And, and we talk a lot about this in the book, and I call it just awareness and alignment. Um, and then, you know, you talked about kind of getting started. I think there always has to be some really, really deep-rooted, uh, people call it a why, right? Most, most people are familiar with it as a why or a purpose, some reason for doing it. Um, I've got a friend who um, started multiple seven-figure businesses. And the first one he did because somebody told him he couldn't do it. And he had an ex-girlfriend that broke up with him. And he just wanted to prove to her that he could. And and that was something that got him out of bed and drove him almost to a point of insanity for three or four years. But he was going to prove that person wrong. Um, I, You know, you asked about Michael Phelps. I don't know his story. Maybe he got slighted as a child or... Um, you know, we all know the story about Michael Jordan. He got cut his sophomore year uh, or his freshman year from, from his basketball team. You know, there, there's always this 
there's always something, you know, if it's, if it's an adult, um, what I've always found to be an incredibly powerful motivator for an adult is their children. Um, you know, if an adult comes into Barry's boot camp and says, I want to lose weight, yeah, that might motivate them for a couple of mornings. But I promise you, if you start to have a conversation with them about why they want to do it, you start peeling the layers of the onion and you find out, well, you know, maybe their parent died young and they don't want to, they don't want that to happen to them. They want to be there, um, you know, well into their child's life and they want to be able to dance at their daughter's wedding or, um, you know, be there with their grandkids or, or something like that. Those are things that are supremely powerful motivators. Um, but they are so much deeper than those surface level things of, I just want to lose a little bit of weight. Um, and, and they're much more value driven and, and legacy um, type things that will get you out of bed and, and kind of get you through those tough days, um, you know, a lot more reliably than something like, oh, well, I just set a goal of losing 10 pounds this month. Do you think that people have to come to a kind of like a precipice of forced action into like whether they're doing something well and then they're kind of like at this tipping point where it can go from good to extremely great or that they have to be just in such terrible shape that it just kind of like shakes you out of your normal routine? Or do you think people in this like kind of gray area in the middle can find a why like that? Because I feel like we just get very comfortable and I maybe I was the same way. I think I always had this little tiny voice in my head being like, you know you don't want to do this, but you're making a comfortable salary out of college. I started as a public accountant doing tax consulting work and I knew it wasn't what I wanted to be doing, but I was making enough money. I was around really smart people. I was being told all the time it was a great career, which it is for a lot of people. Um, but I kind of knew I wanted to do something different. And for so many people, that feeling of like just comfortable enough just slides on for too long. Um, some people get fired from a job and it just forces them into action. Other times get presented with some incredible opportunity for whatever reason. And that kind of drives them to be like, all right, well, now you're thrust into the spotlight and you either own it or flame out. What about for the people in the middle? Like, do you, do you feel like you have to create sort of like an edge like that where you either sink or swim, or do you think you can kind of claw your way out just sort of one day at a time? I can tell you for me personally, uh, that uh, Stephen Pressfield calls it the dead zone, that, that sink or swim for me personally, I have to be there. Um, especially for something really hard, but you said the magic word and it's comfort. Um, and this is, um, I'm not sure. I think you said you were two chapters in on the book, but it's, I think it's in maybe chapter eight, uh, where we talk a lot about comfort and comfort zones. But, um, and I say this in the book, I think comfort is the enemy of motivation, right? There's a certain point of, uh, you know, we've all heard the saying that the hungriest man eats, right? (laughs) If, if I put you in a situation where, your level of discomfort is greater than uh, whatever that overcoming inertia, that activation energy is that is required to uh, get you to seek a change. Um, you know, we can get you over any sticking point if we make you uncomfortable enough, right? Um, you know, if, if your bills are paid and you've got a roof over your head and your meals are taken care of, you're, you're pretty comfortable. That's right? the you're, worst. Your basic human needs are met. Um, now, if we take some of those away, 
you're going to see your motivation level change dramatically. Yeah. So, so you're right. I, I think you know there there is something to be said for voluntarily subjecting yourself to a little bit of discomfort, uh, which is why I love things like cold showers and and, and certain physical challenges. Uh, I think that's why we're seeing such a gravitation uh, towards things like Spartan races or um, you know these these things that you know five or ten years ago. Uh, or, or maybe 15, 20 years ago, you didn't see it all, right? And over the last 10 years, um, you know, mud runs and obstacle course races, the Spartan races are, are some of the fastest growing events in the world. And it's because people are seeking these moments where they can still prove to themselves that, you know what, if I had to do something challenging, I could. Because, I mean, let's face it, technology has gotten to a point where, you know, you could never leave your couch and you could have everything delivered to you, especially if you live in a place like Chicago, you know, you can have Amazon prime or, you know, food delivered or, or whatever. You could literally never leave your apartment if you didn't want to. Um, so I, I think, I think we are seeing this sort of, I don't know, maybe, maybe you call it a rebalancing. Uh, I think a lot of people are, are, are kind of gravitating back towards that, but I guess that's kind of a tangent to your question of, do people have to be there? I think it's an incredibly, um, individual and, and unique to the individual scenario. Um, you know, some people, maybe you, maybe you meet somebody that, um, makes you realize how comfortable you are and, and you just say, man, that person's really doing something with their life. And, and I want to be, I want people to say that about me or, or, or maybe it's just being in the presence of that person or seeing that person or reading a book about somebody. Maybe that's enough to make you say, okay, I'm going to make some changes or I'm going to do something different with my life. Um, you know, maybe other people have to have that level of discomfort. Um, maybe it is some tragic moment that happens in someone's life. Uh, there's a lot of different things that can kind of spark that or, or make that change. But I think, I think there's always something, um, but what it is and, and why or how is, is a very individual thing. Yeah, I think um, in regards to that too, one of the things that um, Jason and I help people with and um, believe in is just freeing yourself from the things that are holding you back. And for a lot of people, um, and this would be interesting to get your opinion on, it's it's a health or a fitness related thing. So people, a lot of the goals people have are like you mentioned, like to lose weight or to become healthier or um, or to do something bigger. Um, and I think one of the most interesting things is is that when we really see people that are successful, a lot of them have utilized their health and their wellness to get them there as a tool. So of course you need the mindset. You might need a catalyst moment to get you there. You might need um, a person, a place, or a thing to push you. But being in a prime physical state is going to help you think more clearly. It's uh, a simple example of if you drink 15 beers, you're not thinking as a good enough state as if you are sober. So for most people, it's a slower burn of you know, not doing the right choices with their diet or skipping a workout. And then what happens is a compound effect of that. And over time, you have fog in your mind. You start thinking about things differently, and then that leads you down either a place to just general comfort or even worse. So what do you think or how do you think that health, like physical well-being, plays into this idea of mastering your mind um, and then creating action based on like where you want to go? 
Uh, well, it's a huge part. And I mean, from my personal background, I mean, I've always known that um, from, you know, playing sports and just being active and then to getting involved with uh, a lot of the research that I've, you know, where I've talked to people who are in the, the, the brain health and, and neuroscience field. Um, but as I wrote the book, I mean, I got to dig through a ton of research, um, you know, on a couple of different fronts. We know that inflammation makes us dumber. Um, we also know that increased HRV, heart rate variability, is related to increased emotional resiliency, which facilitates better decision making. Um, you know, and then, of course, as you mentioned, you know, we know certain things like alcohol or, or other things that may alter our states uh, are going to impair or, or at least put our decision making in a different state, different place. Um, even things like motion, just moving. Um, there, there have been um, MRI scans of, of brains after 20 minutes of walking. And we've seen dramatically increased neural activity from a simple 20 minute walk. Um, just being in nature can improve creativity and memory. So there, there is no shortage of studies showing that, you know, the, the mind and the body are connected and, you know, there's really no way to optimize one without giving due diligence to the other. Yeah, I think that that is, I love the, the basis of what you do too is so research driven. I think it's super interesting to get those exact examples um, what are some of the ways that you personally stay in that in that prime state? Can you dive into your nutrition, um, which I know at least from what Rylan said is very interesting, um, and then your um, your workout schedule or your movement practice as well? Yeah, and I'm sure that what Rylan has told you is uh, something about the carnivore diet yes. experiment. Yes. Um, and uh, we'll just go on the record and say I'm no longer purely carnivore. Um, I, I went into that as, I mean, like I said at the top, I mean, my degree is food science and human nutrition. So um, anything that kind of comes up and is in that realm, I, I'm very easily fascinated by it. And um, I, I don't want to hijack the conversation with carnivore diet stuff. So uh, how about I'll send you guys a, a link to a blog post I did on it, and if people okay. want to hear about it, they can read it. But I'd rather tell you guys about what's coming up as opposed to what's been done. Um, so with Better Human Project, we're going to ride uh, bikes from San Francisco to Los Angeles. Uh, so that is a 550-mile ride in seven days with 25,000 feet of elevation change. So my diet and my training have changed uh, <laughs> to, pre to prepare for that. So uh, like today, for example, I, I got up this morning and um, did about an hour of work uh, on the computer. And um, I don't ingest any caffeine until 90 minutes after I, uh, I've been awake. And I got that from uh, Dr. Michael Bruce, who is the, he's known as the sleep doctor. And he uh, wrote a book all about chronotypes and, and understanding your best time to do everything. Uh, regardless of what your chronotype is, uh, he suggests not having caffeine first thing in the morning because it uh, teaches your body to rely on caffeine and not cortisol, which should be peaking in the morning to help us get up. So um, maybe for the first week, that was a tough change for me. But afterwards, I started feeling amazing. 
Um, so I, I would highly recommend that if people use caffeine, that you do your best to not ingest any until at least 90 minutes after you've been awake. Um, so today, uh, got up at six, worked on the computer until about 7.15, started making coffee. Um, took me, yes, it took me 10 minutes to find everything because new house. Um, but coffee at 7.30, uh, and then got on my bike and rode for an hour. Uh, so I did 15 miles um, through the hills here. And then um, was back on the computer, did a little bit of work for a couple more hours, and then went to the gym, got a lift in, came home. Um, we're recording this show, and then I'll eat again. So um, let's see. I skipped a couple of meals. So I had um, first meal was when I got back from the bike ride. I just had a, a protein shake and a little bit of almond butter and a bar of 100% chocolate. Um, I love chocolate, but I only eat it if it's 100% chocolate. Um, and then a little bit before the workout, I had um, a pound of grass-fed ground beef and an avocado. Um, lifted, had a protein shake after that, and then I'll eat again after this. And um, still some version of intermittent fasting, so it's probably a lot closer to like a 16-8 um, breakdown right now, like 16-hour fast, 8-hour eating window, uh, depending on the day. And right now, my struggle was just figuring out what my caloric requirement is going to be um, and kind of getting used to this workload and then, of course, constantly increasing that workload so that you know I can get to a point in my training where, okay, I can actually handle a 100-mile bike ride and not just handle it, but then I've got to get to the point where I can do that six or seven days in a row. So there's a lot of uh, uh, acclimation and accumulation that's going to have to happen over the next couple months. Hey, Ryan, I have a quick question about the coffee. So I know that caffeine can also cause a little bit of a cortisol spike. And I always wonder this, and I asked one of my um, nutritionists a while ago this same question about waiting. Um, but I feel like once, once I wake up on occasion, depending on when I wake up and when my cortisol is kind of at its highest, if you wait again, and the goal is then to reduce cortisol as much as possible when you aren't trying to spike it up, do you think waiting, do you think caffeine spikes it to any unhealthy level if then you let your natural cortisol come back down and then spike it up again if you wait to have your coffee rather than just like double it all up at once i always wondered about that yeah that's a good question Uh, my my short answer is no um if you if we think about the 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 curve or or the graph of what cortisol looks like if if it peaks say when the sun comes up let's say it peaks at 6 a.m uh, it's probably going to be at its lowest, hopefully, between 6 and 9 p.m. Um, so it's not like, okay, if I waited until 7.30 in the morning that it's already bottomed out. Yeah. Um, and, and the extent to which coffee or caffeine is going to make it peak um, or, or spike again. Now, again, I mean, let's, let's also be honest. I mean, I'm drinking um, – I'm also drinking less coffee or caffeine than I used to um, when I made that switch because I didn't have to rely on it as much, right? So I went from um, the equivalent of four cups down to two cups a day, and I'm talking like two eight-ounce cups. Um, And an eight-ounce cup of coffee twice a day compared to 
like that's less than 200, 250 milligrams of caffeine. You know, the average pre-workout drink is 200 to 300 milligrams of caffeine right there. So the amount of, of, yeah, if there is a cortisol spike, you know, what I'm doing, I'm not worried about, but yeah, yeah, like if you're going to work out in the evening after work and drink uh, 300 milligrams of of caffeine (laughs) workout, pre-workout drink, that might be something that we want to worry about and, and, and not just what it's doing to cortisol, but also, you know, that, that ability to shift from sympathetic to parasympathetic for rest and digest and to actually get good quality sleep and, and things like that. Be bicep curling your pillow to your face over and over and over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think that it's interesting to, to dive into kind of the changes that you make and how um, they're strategic as well as you understand them. I think that's one of the biggest disconnects that we see with people is they just do um, without either a thought process going into it or without understanding the the effect of it on themselves. So for example, with the coffee thing, you didn't just like do that for two days and then be like, oh, this feels good. I'm going to start doing it. Like you, you do it for a time period. You analyze how well or how unwell it makes you feel and then you move forward. So I think that that's it. It's just interesting to hear um, people that 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 are on that same path because I think one of the things that we just see is that people aren't consistent um, with their efforts and whether that's nutrition, working out, or pursuing passion, like you mentioned in the book. Um, how much do you think consistency plays into pretty much anything? Uh, it's it is everything. Um, I, I, there's a quote in the book, remarkable people do unremarkable things with remarkable consistency. And, and that's just it. <laughs> that's I mean, a great it's, quote. It, 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 and that's, that's why the move the chains analogy is one of my favorites. I mean, because it's, it's, it's a reminder that, um, that my goal for today is to gain 3.4 yards. So you mentioned it's a football analogy. If yeah. someone isn't familiar with football, you get four downs, basically three downs to gain 10 yards. If you have not gained the 10 yards on fourth down, you punt. So if we can average 3.4 yards on first, second, and third down, we will get 10 yards. We will have a first down. If as a team, we accomplish that every single play, then we never punt. And as long as we don't fumble, we would score a touchdown on every single possession. And the team with the most points on the board at the end of the day wins. And I think that's something like the points on the board is something that a lot of us lose sight of in our mission or in business or whatever it is. If, if, if you are in business, your goal is to put points on the board for your business, bottom line. And the way you do that is move the chains, right? And so the 3.4 yards in, in football would basically be turn around, hand the ball off and run it up the middle. Boring as shit, really mundane. And it's, it's easy, you know, after a couple of times of doing that to say, hey, I just... I want to do something flashy or fancy. But the point of that is, you know, forget about the highlight reel plays, forget about the Hail Marys, and just do the thing that you know will move your mission forward. And a lot of times, I, I, there, there are very few days where I only get the 3.4 yards. Yeah. You know, it's, it's like, you know, you hand the ball off and all you want is 3.4 yards, but maybe you got five yards. Or maybe the hole opens up and you rip off a 20-yard run. Um, but it's, it's about the intent and the focus. Um, and, and worst case scenario, you know, you're getting something, right? Like what if you, if all you ever did was Hail Marys, 
Yeah, you're not going to win a lot of football games. I, I don't think you have to be a Bill Belichick type mind to understand that, right? Um, so consistency is absolutely everything. Um, but back to what you were saying about kind of um, research and, and kind of understanding why we do certain things, uh, I, I would I, I, I agree with you guys. I, I think you're absolutely right on that. And I think the one thing that I always try to stress to people is understanding goal and context and, and also understanding the science behind why things work. So for me, I've, I've always just wanted to know um, what, what, how, how does the body work? Don't tell me how to eat because if someone starts telling me how to train or, or how to eat, I'm like, well, why, I want to know why. Why does that work? Why doesn't that work? Um, so it always comes down to me to, well, how does the body work and what's going on with the science? Um, and, and you can apply that to anything, right? If, if someone tries to teach you how to code, well, well, how does the internet work? How do, you know, things like that, right? So understanding the system, whatever it is that, that is the system in the domain in which you're operating. And then if you can understand that and then you know your goal and context, how and why things will be applied, then you can manage or manipulate things to get the outcome that you want. So when you're talking about, you know, whether it's caffeine or how to eat or how to work out, goal and context always matter. And then you pick the right plan and you attack it with consistency. And well, you look up and in a couple of years, you're one of these people that we would classify as a high performer or a successful person. Um, it, it's, it's not complicated doesn't make it easy right uh, it, simple is not the same thing as easy right and one is not complicated the other implies a lack of effort and there's certainly no lack of be a high performer but it doesn't have to be complicated yeah totally and i feel like that's where mission fatigue kind of comes into play i know you have a lot of um military related references in the book and some of your guests have been military but i feel like that gets so important when trying to work with a client, especially at the beginning, is understanding what the end goal is. And if you don't have buy into that, then they're certainly not going to be flexible when one strategy may not work if they don't understand the context of where you're going and how to work through each phase, which is what we see all the time. And I'm sure you feel everybody wants to skip the short steps, the, the step number one to get to step five and try things that are complicated. And as you suggested, I try and program a lot of my classes, a lot of my training with clients as definitely not easy, but simple enough to understand like, hey, this is the foundation and this is where we're building, but you can't, you know, you can't bench 300 pounds without first doing a push up. And I think people have a really hard time understanding that because they're just looking for a quick fix, whether that's diet training, any type of mental training, I think maybe even more than others because they feel like, oh, if I think it, it should just manifest which is just not the case and one huge reason why i love your book is just understanding that day over day you have to be committed to understanding that your feelings are fleeting and that because they drive decisions that may mean that you are you could experience a very long term long lasting consequence from something that Maybe you decided in a moment of weakness rather than just take a quick 20-minute walk, take a quick shower, take a break from doing something, and then reevaluating can produce a totally different outcome than just kind of giving in to those moments where, yeah, maybe the motivation kind of has run out. 
Yeah, that's a really big one. Um, that's a great point. I'm glad you brought that up. That you know, we never want to make a decision or, or act in a moment that will have long-term consequences because of a fleeting feeling or emotion. So, uh, anything we can do to you know take a pause, get that objective view, or or even if you just say, you know what, I'm not myself. I'm going to make zero decisions today. I'm just going to you know read a book or or do something you know that basically insulates. The rest of your life from you today, right? Um, there, there is a little bit about that in the book as well. But you know, something else you brought up too is is, is this concept of, of simplicity. And you know, we live in this world where I, I think a lot of people try to stand out in their fields by looking complex, and and, and there's this connotation that complex is is great. Um, the more complex things are, the, the cooler they must be or the smarter the creator must be. Um, I, I think that's a big place to, to both operate and uh, to kind of look and, and live as a consumer. Steve Jobs, I, I think, is one of the people who made this quote famous that, that we should seek simplicity on the other side of complexity. And if you think about the iPhone or the iPod, you could give that to somebody in a third world country and they can pull it out of the box and they can work it right away. They don't have to read the user's manual. It is a very complex piece of computer technology, but the interface uh, is incredibly simple, right? Um, and you mentioned military or law enforcement. These are great. I, I love working with those groups because they understand the importance of simplicity. For them, it's a matter of life and death. If, if you make a plan for a raid or, or a battle or, or a sting or an operation, whatever it is, if, if you go into this thing with a really complex plan and then things get chaotic as they always do in the real world, the more complex it is, the harder it is to stay on track. And for these guys, life and death is on the line, right? So, so literally their, their lives depend on very simple, very easy to implement plans. And I think there's there's a lot from both of those examples for the average person to, to take and, and implement and say, you know, what, what is the, the most simple way that I can set this up so that I can actually be consistent and, and maintain momentum with this thing that I'm trying to do? Yeah, which is which is an incredible sort of framework for thinking about that. And I love that um, we've kind of started to get into some of the people that have motivated you um, and then given you some anecdotes from the book as you started to, to write about some of these topics. But I think one of the things that you are uniquely good at is also obviously speaking on these topics, which brings us to the Better Human Project. And we have kind of split Live Better into several different um, sort of subjects. So we have move better, eat better, think better, all three of which we've talked about. Um, but we also have a pillar called give better um, in that a lot of the work we do ends up benefiting somebody else. And just, I think, inherently working in health, uh, that is the goal. Um, but I think we lose a broader context on maybe some scale for some of that help, especially when you're just working with an individual. And I know that Better Human Project, obviously aptly named, has a social focus. So could you talk about um, 
and maybe use some of the awesome guests that you've had on the show just to talk about that experience of, of interviewing some of these people and really sharing with others some of your ideas from your book um, and then how those two things kind of play back and forth. Because I think that's pretty awesome when you get to put a lot of these things that you talk about and you research into play, into live conversations with some of these people who have figured out a lot of this emotional control and then on top of it are also able to give so much back. I think the concept of your podcast um, is amazing and your, your life experience has kind of played into this. So could you talk a little bit more about Better Human Project and then maybe give just like favorite guests uh, or favorite experiences of doing that so far? Yeah, I mean, I think favorite experience was probably the, the first trip that we took in the RV and we were 10 days in San Francisco, Santa Cruz and LA and just just having these conversations that I mean I feel incredibly blessed to be able to have those conversations but to be able to then put them out as podcast episodes and share them with the world uh, it's just incredible so I mean it's tough to just you know I don't I don't want to try to pick one guest over any of the others but I mean that that trip was was a really special thing and and you know hey we're just we're sleeping in the RV and we're driving and when we get there we're going to do this and uh, you know that was a blast and and as far as what it is and what our mission is. I mean, that's, you know, again, uh, I can't do this without Ryland and, and, you know, the conversations that he and I had about, you know, what is it that we want to set up and how do we want to do this thing? And, um, you know, for us, we're, we're both, and, and like you guys, very much into, you know, this idea of personal development, self-improvement in, in all fronts, right? All of these pillars, the ones that you just mentioned and, and, and many others, um, you know, communication, relationships, business, whatever. But the question we kept asking and, and what we're kind of posing with what we're doing with Better Human Project is that do better component. Like, what To what end are, are we chasing all of this personal development? And, you know, in our eyes, if we're not acquiring those assets in an effort to help others, you know, then it's, maybe it's a selfish pursuit or um, maybe it's um, an unfinished pursuit. Maybe that's a better way of saying it, you know, um, because we feel like the real reason to do that is, as you said, to be able to, um, uh, to be able to better serve others, to be of more value as a human. Um, but if you're, you know, not doing anything with that value, then you might as well not have any, right? It's kind of like knowledge without implementation. What good is it? So, you know, that's one of the questions that we ask all of our guests, you know, what, what is your number one way to do better as humans? And, and we've, everybody has had really amazing answers to that, but, but we're also seeking out guests to, in addition to just being able to answer that question, they're actually doing some things in their lives that are um, more charitable. And, uh, you know, we have Shane Magnuson on, who's a big wave surfer or a professional surfer. And, um, you know, he's involved with a few different charities. I think one of them is uh, Surfers Healing. And, you know, it turns out that children with autism respond incredibly well to being in the water and surfing. So this is an organization that, um, you know, they, they organize these days where parents bring their autistic children to the water. And, and you've got these pro surfers who are, you know, taking these kids surfing. And it just is a completely transformative event for the surfers the kids, the parents, everybody involved. Um, and it's not to say that any one type of charity is better than another, but 
you know, I think if, if someone were to donate their time, um, there are certain ways that, that that could be done that leaves a more lasting mark on us, right? And, and, and I think it's, it's a lot easier to get excited maybe about taking an autistic child surfing as opposed to, um, I don't want to say feeding the homeless, but I mean, that's what comes to mind, right? Where, where it's a little bit more merit-based merit and um, uh, back to our podcast guest, I mean, we had Jeff Castillo's on the show who um, he uh, lost his son, Pablo, to cancer at the age of six. And then that was the reason for uh, creating this charity Pablo across it's the, the charity is Pablo Foundation. The ride is Pablo across America, and that is the bike ride that we will be participating in. So a few months after, a few weeks after we had Jeff on the show, you know, Ryland and I reached out. We're like, look, this we love the idea that, that you guys have and, and what you're doing. We want to get involved. And Jeff said, hey, you know, I think the best way that you guys can help and, and support us is to actually ride in the ride this year. So we said, all right, we'll do it. And uh, that's. <laughs> where the idea for this ride came from and um you know it's going to be a lot of fun on the physical side i mean as as former athlete and you know people who do what we do you know there's there's that side of it that it's fun to 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 have a physical challenge and a mental challenge see if if you can train for this thing and do it but then to also be able to say hey we're going to be donating fifteen thousand dollars to pediatric cancer that's kind of cool too yeah, that is cool. I think having the the challenge is something that Jason and I have been I've been tinkering with a lot of trying to sign up for events, and I think it's cool when it has a direct impact to somebody that you are connected with. That's such a driving force. Um, obviously, you have a lot of you know driving force behind the Better Human Project, and it's such a it's such an amazing tool to communicate what do you um believe will be the lasting impact of that project on anybody who is involved whether they're a listener or a participant on the show i really hope the answer to that question is something that i can't even comprehend right now um you know and i've talked about this thing as an experiment and that's why we named it project um this is something that he and i want to do for the next 30 or 40 years so um where we go with this thing and and what it can do uh, the impact that it can have over that time um I, i really hope that it is something that in 30 50 years we look back and we say i had no idea that it was going to be this big or do this much and um I really feel like that's that's a, a very realistic possibility. So um, I, I don't even want to venture a guess because I think <laughs> I would put limitations on, on it. So um, let's just uh, let's just say our our goal is to make the biggest possible impact in world. That's great. I mean, that's a that is a goal worth fighting for. Um, so you've settled in or starting to settle into your new spot you've changed up the diet your training all this fun stuff what is we like to ask everybody this question um you could wake up tomorrow you don't have to be unpacking boxes you can do whatever you want you could be anywhere in the world um you can do anything what does um ryan muncie's best day ever look like oh man (laughs) well Tomorrow, tomorrow is going to be a holiday, so we'll get some time with family. Um, so that'll be really cool. Um, you know, 
best day ever for me is up early. Um, I, I love being up early in the morning. I, I don't know what it is about the, the early morning, but I think it's just something about the possibility of the day. Um, but I tend to, to go to bed you know, fairly early, 9 or 10, and I'm usually up 5, 6, 7, depending on the day. Um, definitely, when I envision my best day, no matter where it is, there's always an element of, of nature, uh, being outdoors, um, you know, whether it's in the mountains or, or at the beach. Um, I love being outside and, and in the natural world. Um, there's always some sort of movement. Um, I'm not picky. Uh, it could be a bike, it could be the gym, um, could be paddle boarding or, or hiking, whatever. Um, but there's always nature, there's always movement, and, and there's always good people, good food, great conversation. Um, I don't know. Is that an acceptable answer for a template without a specific answer? <laughs> yeah, I think that's. I think that's exactly what a best day ever should be. It might. You might not have to nail down where you are, what you're doing, but the fact that you have that outline and what's interesting, I think one point that you made, which something that like really hit me was you might wake up and the the day, the possibility of the day is a 10, but you're starting at a three or a four or whatever, but you have the ability to create that 10. You have the ability, you have the skills, you have the time, you have the effort, you have the wherewithal to, to do that. And I think that's exactly what your answer just said is, doesn't matter if you wake up tomorrow and you have to unpack a shitload of boxes or you're on a vacation, you have the choice to create your best day ever. And that, I mean, that's the goal. It's making it the best day you've ever had based on the decisions and the choices that you make. Um, and I think that's, that's fantastic. Well, we just wanted to extend our um, gratitude for you taking some time, especially during your move to, um, to share some insight on, on what you're doing, why you're doing it, how you're doing it. Um, and we're just really excited to see where you can take things and how positively you can impact in the world and, and not have a limit on that impact. It's, it's amazing to have that. So thanks so much for, for your time. And we're really excited to, to see where you take things. Uh, I'm excited to see where things go too, and, and really grateful for you guys having me on the show, and, and look forward to connecting with you guys in person sometime soon. For sure. And where can um, people find out more about you, um, Better Human Project, and fuck your feelings? Yeah, so Better Human Project podcast is available anywhere you listen to podcasts, and that website is betterhumanproject.org. Uh, my personal website is ryanmonsky.com. You can get the book on that website or you can get it on Amazon. Great. Well, we'll share all those links with our, our listeners and some, some cool insights into the book as well. Um, but thanks again, Ryan. And as always, have the best day ever. <laughs> you guys do the same. Thanks. All righty. Thank you so much for listening to the Live Better Show. Awesome, cool really fun guest we are extremely excited to extend you guys a discount on our retreat for listening to this episode if you can make it to our next live better experience email ham at livebetterco.org h-a-m at livebetterco.org yet we go ham you want a discount off the next trip hit us up have the best day ever